the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plants of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, but there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, and it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It, ri- it runs through the east side of Ash- Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for then when you eat it you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was, his, that's, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. A A few years ago, there was a movie made which was called What Women Want. Anyone see that movie? Yep, Fiona saw it and uh, Joanne saw it. Any blokes see it? Would be helpful. Well, it was about a... uh, Mel uh, Mel Gibson played the role of of an insensitive, self-centred, womanising advertising executive. Yeah, some of you think, yeah, I know, I remember seeing that movie. Uh, a bloke who spent his life moving from one sexual conquest onto another and leaving a trail of broken hearts uh, in his wake. But uh, then one miraculous night he was struck by lightning and it was miraculous because uh, having been struck by lightning something significantly happened to him and he found he now had a power which a lot of blokes would like to have in some ways. He had the power to read women's minds so that uh, uh, every, every thought that a woman had who was within a certain radius of him, uh, he could hear. Now, at first that drove him absolutely nuts, as you can imagine, but uh, then he realised that it gave him an enormous uh, womanising advantage because he could actually, you know, blokes, um, 
how many times do we wish we could read our wise minds? How many times do we think that we're expected to have been able to read our wise minds so we could, have, could re relate more sensitively and more caringly? Well, he was able to do that, uh, and he then eventually became irresistible to women. Uh, for example, if a lady in the office was had a particular thing on her mind, she was worried about something, or someone had said something, and said, you know, he would be able to tune in to that, and he would be able to respond with the sensitivity and with the connectedness which uh, women can only dream of in other men. And he, so he used his gift for his own advantage. By the end of the movie, it had changed him. Uh, because uh, he ended up losing his gift, but uh, in the process he had become a man who was more interested in the well-being of women and uh, rather than just gratifying his own particular desires. So in other words, he had learned the secret of what women want. Now when we try to understand human relationships, especially the relationship between uh, men and women, uh, we don't wait for a bolt of lightning to strike us so that we can understand. As Christians, of course, we know that the right place for understanding relationships and understanding human needs and desires and how we connect with one another is, of course, uh, the Bible. And so today we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2, which uh, is a passage which... Uh, we could handle in different ways and uh, I'm guessing that um, I'm hoping that as we've looked at Genesis 1 last week as we look at Genesis 3 next week that um, we get a get the whole picture of uh, the purpose and the meaning of these important chapters in Genesis but uh, today I want us to to focus on what it tells us about relationships uh, because it's a chapter which uh, teaches us some of the principles which guide us through the complexities of our most important relationships. And three of the most important relationships are our relationship with God, our relationship with the world in which we live, and our relationship with one other, with, with each other, particularly the relationship of marriage. Now, last week in Genesis 1, we saw that when God created, that there was a pattern to the account of the creation. Uh, and we saw that, you remember, how day one matched day four, but day two matched day five, day three matched day six. But also that there was a verbal pattern uh, of, of, of uh, repeated uh, phrases. And one of the repeated phrases was the phrase that uh, the Lord saw that it was good and that uh, in various stages of creation, God saw what he'd done and God said that it was good. There's a slight breaking of that pattern after he made the first man, Adam. Um, and uh, we, we'll see that if you have a look at chapter 2, verse 18, if you care to look at that. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So that's the first time we see it saying that uh, something was actually not good. It was not good for Adam, which, by the way, is Hebrew for the word man, and it, uh, <clears throat> it's, he's depicted here as coming out of the earth. The Hebrew for the word earth or ground is Adamah, 
And so Adam comes out of the earth and he eventually goes back to the earth, as you'll see next week in Genesis 3. But uh, God saw that Adam needed companionship. He needed a friend. And that, of course, is the way that God has made us. I know that there are some people who tend to isolate themselves, some people who even cut themselves off from other people. But uh, that's because of issues that they have. It's not the way that God intended. Because as human beings, we need each other. Uh, because God has made us in his image, hasn't he? And uh, we saw something of that uh, last week. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And uh, we saw last week that to be made in the image of God means that we are God's image bearer that uh, we are God's uh, representative to rule the world under his authority. But uh, there was also that uh, switching from, in respect to God, <coughs> what Genesis says about God, the, <coughs> the switching from the singular to the plural, <coughs> and uh, which, we, which we see in verse 26, where it says, let us make man in our image. And in that there is the at the very least, that there is a hint of the relational nature of God, that God is one God but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all different, all equal, and relating to one another. And we've been made in God's image. Do you ever wonder why we crave relationships so much? Uh, well, it's not just in marriage, but in friendship, and in community, and I think it's because we're designed for each other. It's the way we've, we're wired. It's the way that God has made us. And perhaps that's why loneliness can be something which has seems so unnatural and can be so tough. And it's why the loss of a loved one causes so much grief, that it's not a neutral thing that happens in our life because we're wired relationally. Now, of course, here in our church, not all of us are married. <clears throat> there are some of us who are married. There are some of us who are uh, widowed. There are some of us who uh, used to be married. Um, there are some of us who uh, have never been married. There are some of us who hope that one day we will be married. The Bible, of course, has much teaching on the whole uh, topic of singleness, and we looked at that <clears throat> a year or so ago when we were working through 1 Corinthians. But Genesis chapter 2 does deal specifically with the relationship which we call marriage. And it tells us that God has given us marriage for three important reasons. The first one is companionship. So let's have a look at verses 19 and 20, shall we? In verse 19, we see that the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds of the air and all of the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So uh, amongst all of the creation, all of the, uh, the animals, uh, none of them were considered to be an appropriate companion for Adam. 
uh, because Adam, because they're, they're not like Adam. Uh, they're fundamentally not like Adam. Uh, they're not the pinnacle of God's creation as Adam was. Uh, Adam's companion needed to be similar to Adam. I remember meeting a lady years ago who <clears throat> uh, told me that she didn't need human beings, that she didn't need people, <clears throat> that um, her dogs gave her all of the companionship that she needed. And uh, <clears throat> there was a sense in which <clears throat> I felt sorry for her, um, although dogs are great companions, but I, I wondered what, what, what disappointment, what... Um, has happened in her life that had caused her to distrust people and to not want to be connected with people. Because here we see that in order for the relationship to be satisfactory, that there was a need for similarity. Adam was not to absorb himself in, in his animals. He needed other humans because we all need the connectiveness that only other people can bring. But not only was the companion to be similar, uh, what else do we learn about the companion? We'll have a look at verse 21. <clears throat> so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, or in the original it can be said, took you know his side, and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So Adam's companion was to be similar in the sense of being human, but different in the sense of being female. And I guess that, you know, you say, well, it's kind of stating the obvious, uh, but that's because it is the norm of, of relationships. And I, I, I suppose it's worthwhile just taking a step aside from this to just talk about one of the key social issues that we are dealing with in our time, in our culture, and that is the issue of um, same-sex marriage. It's a big issue, a big topic uh, at the present time, and I <clears throat> saw in the news, was it just uh, this morning, that um, France's uh, government has now completely legalised same-sex marriage. I think it Stage one was a few weeks ago with one House of Parliament and stage two happened yesterday or last night. And uh, <clears throat> New Zealand has uh, just recently uh, legislated for same-sex marriage and, uh, and so on. And I think, didn't Britain do so recently? England was in the process of doing so? I don't think so, Not yet. It's still in the process, but it's just a rubber stamp for it to go to the... Um, to the House of Lords. Uh, we live in a world where society is moving away from the biblical foundations of human relationships and marriage, and that, of course, is happening in a variety of different uh, ways that that's being expressed. Uh, but, of course, at the present time, the movement is to change the Marriage Act so, that, uh, so as to allow a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman. But the, the picture of marriage in Genesis is that of, that of a union between two similar beings, uh, who, people who are similar but who are different. And, and the key differences in how our bodies are designed 
are the very differences which here in Genesis 2 bring the man and the woman together in a physical unity uh, and in so doing become the very means by which uh, they are able to fulfil God's command in uh, chapter 1 verse 28 was, which was the command to be fruitful and to multiply. Uh, you know, of course the issues surrounding same-sex attraction are too complex to do justice to this morning and I do want to say that of course that there is uh, the same-sex attraction uh, is in the Bible considered alongside with a whole lot of other issues that affect most of us and um, in terms of um, it's a sin like other sins and that there is forgiveness, there's restoration available for people who come to know God personally through Jesus and there's a right way of um, responding in that situation. Um, however, in the current discussion about same-sex marriage, I guess one of the key issues is that there's a lot that is being said about the, the human rights of adults. Uh, and in fact, they, they call it marriage equality, don't they? Where they've actually confused equality with equivalence. Uh, because uh, whilst those relationships might be legislated in law to give equality in terms of financial and legal issues, it's not the same to say that they are equivalent to <clears throat> uh, heterosexual marriage. Uh, see the difference there? Equality does not necessarily mean equivalence. It's not the same thing. And uh, the reasons are what we see here in Genesis... Uh, and as I say, there's a, a lot of talk about the rights of adults, but in God's plan, one of the key issues uh, is the well-being of children. And that's, the, that's actually the key reason why our government actually has any involvement at all in legislating with respect to marriage. It's for, because of the government's responsibility uh, towards children. And it's the, the well-being of, of children uh, and the, these kind of issues that are bound up in the complementary relationship between a, a man and a woman which actually produces children. And the, the different but complementary uh, input of both a mother and a father uh, into, the, into the raising of the children and the shaping of that uh, that person, uh, in um, <clears throat> uh, the the Bible, it says that uh, God's purpose in marriage is to produce God godly offspring, and uh, God's plan is a, a male and female, uh, physically physiologically different, coming together in union, and because of that union and because of that difference in physiology producing children, being fruitful and multiplying and forming the family unit, which is the fabric of society. Now, of course, in our world today, marriage does not always work out very well, does it? And uh, that's part of the kind of issues that Peter will be dealing with next week in Genesis chapter 3. But the male-female complementary differences 
are the key factors that make the marriage relationship unique. And so whatever else might be happening in the law, whatever equal rights might be given in terms of legal stat, um, status of property and finance, etc., it is, not the, it is not true to say that a, <clears throat> a union of a physical uh, nature between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is equivalent to a union between a man and a woman uh, in marriage. The law in Australia as it stands currently is correct when it defines marriage as, and I quote, the union of a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life. And we can see uh, uh, the foundation of that definition is what we read here in the Bible, uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and throughout the scriptures. Uh, and it reflects the biblical picture of the intimacy that we see between a man and a woman uh, in verses 24 and 25. Let me read that for you. In verse 24 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so here we see that uh, the... the um, uh, the idea of leaving and cleaving, uh, where in marriage a man leaves his father and his mother. Of course, the Bible teaches us that we are to honour our mother and father. And whilst that's true, however, when a man gets married, his priority in his relationships change, so that uh, before marriage, a man's top priority under a God would be his parents. But after marriage, his top priority relationship under God becomes his wife. She's his, his highest responsibility. And by implication, marriage means that the wife too leaves her parents and the same realignment of relationships apply so that a new family uh, is formed. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't always work out. Of course, we understand that sometimes one of the parents dies or there is infertility and so on. But uh, this is the, um, the blueprint for marriage that we see here in Genesis. A practical implication of this, of course, as well, is that when a man's responsibilities to his parents clash with his responsibility to his wife, then in the end his wife has to be his priority. For he leaves his parents, cleaves to his wife, and the two, we are told, become one flesh. That's an interesting concept because it's not just about setting up house together, although it's, it's not just about setting up house together, it's about the forming of a new unit, a new family unit. And it's about the sexual unity that uh, I spoke about uh, a few minutes ago. Because just as Eve came from the flesh of Adam, uh, they again become one flesh in the profound intimacy of sexual union. Now, of course, some people think, seem to think that God is against sex. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. God invented sex. He designed sex. 
He did so for his plan and purpose, for producing children, and for building a man and together, uh, man and woman together, not just um, physically, but emotionally as well, as they uh, make themselves vulnerable to one another, because they trust one another. And we see here, it's interesting in the very uh, <clears throat> last verse in the chapter. There it says, "The man and woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was no no reason to hide. There was no." <clears throat> no guilt, no sense of um, not trusting each other, uh, perfectly happy to be perfectly vulnerable because really there was no vulnerability before the fall. And <clears throat> it's because of this, um, this binding together, not just physically but emotionally, uh, that happens uh, inside marriage, uh, inside uh, um, in the sexual union, that uh, makes uh, sex, you know, the most wonderful experience, but also when it's not exercised in uh, God's way, uh, really it means playing with fire uh, with people's lives. Our society tells young people that sex before marriage is fine, you know, so long as you protect yourself from disease or from pregnancy. But nothing can protect the damage that's done to the human heart. Uh, when people make themselves vulnerable like that and find that that's not a, not a committed, loving relationship. And, and so it is also that uh, Satan, who, as we'll see next week, is the father of all lies, he's the one who tells the married man that the other woman has got so much more to offer. Uh, Genesis 2 paints a picture of relationships. It uh, paints a picture of our three key relationships before the fall. And uh, firstly, and you might find the diagram in your outlines helpful at this point, um, it paints a picture of our relationship with God, which is characterised by our dependence upon God and is expressed by our obedience and our trust in God. Uh, secondly, it paints a picture of our relationship with the environment, which was expressed by Adam and Eve's rule over the environment, uh, was characterised by their rule over the environment and is expressed by Adam actually being the one who names the animals, because in biblical thinking, to be the name giver uh, means that you actually have the um, uh, more senior relationship. And of course, also it's expressed in their caring for the garden in verse 15. And thirdly, there is this relationship between man and woman, which is, is characterised by a, um, a, complementary, a complementarity, so they're not the same, they are different, they, they complement one another. The relationship between the man and woman is characterised by complementarity and also unity. We see this in the, in the, in the, in the picture in Genesis 2, don't we? And, and it is expressed uh, in their joint rule over the environment, the way that uh, Eve uh, is alongside Adam, is his, his helper. Um, uh, Adam has the priority relationship because Eve comes from Adam, 
but in that you also see the absolute equality between the two, uh, that they are of the same flesh, both created by God but with different roles. So they exercise their um, authority over, uh, over, over nature um, by their joint rule uh, with one another. So their relationship between one another is characterised by complementarity and unity and it is expressed in marriage and in joint rule over the creation where the one helps the other. Well, where, where Adam leads but uh, Eve is his helper. Uh, and next week what we'll see is the damage that is done to all three of those relationships by sin. The relationship with God, relationship with the environment, relationship with one another. So look forward to that uh, next Sunday. So what do women want? I would have probably appreciated being a fly on the wall of the women's conference yesterday. <laughs> that could have been interesting. Could have got some good insights, some good tips. Uh, what do men want? <clears throat> uh, some of the guys here and myself have read through a book called Point Man, which talks about blokey issues. And I'd, I know some of the women have actually, you know, took and taken it when the husband's not been uh, watching and read about it, so they can learn a bit about what men want as well. There's libraries full of books on that uh, topic, isn't there? But our thoughts and about marriage really ought to be determined by what God wants. And we need to recognise that our thoughts and our, our attitudes towards marriage are shaped by things other than God's word. Um, the example of our parents, you know, how mum and dad related and treated one another, that, that shapes us. Uh, our media shapes us with its ability to, to sugarcoat and to present, you know, what they would, some say, a non-traditional or progressive forms of relationships in such a way that make them seem to be so natural and so healthy and so fascinating. So the children end up growing up not having a clear picture of what marriage really is. And our world says that the gender of the two people just don't matter. It's all about equality of adults. Two married men two men marrying each other, two women marrying each other. So long as they love each other, then it's all fine. It's all normal, it's all natural. And it's all to be approved by the rest of society. Or multiple partners before marriage. That's just sowing, your, sowing a few wild oats. Or the occasional fling during the marriage, which some so-called experts have the hide to say is probably healthy for your marriage relationship. And in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of the shifting sands of morality, the shifting sands of relationships, God's word says no. God's word says it's pretty simple actually. It's one man, one woman, together exclusively uh, as long as they both shall live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of relationships. We thank you that you've gifted us with a uh, relationship with you, the one who has made us. 
We thank you for the relationship that we enjoy with our world. And we thank you, Father God, for the relationships that we have with each other, that we do live in families and in community and in society. We thank you uh, so much for the gift of marriage, uh, which affects us all in one way or the other. We pray, Father God, that we would be able to see through some of the deception in our society, that we would have a clear picture of your plan for these relationships, and that we would realign our lives in accordance with your word. And we thank you, Father God, for the gospel of Jesus. For we know that um, each one of us in different ways have, has messed up our relationships and has been thinking and behaving wrongly. We thank you for the forgiveness that we find in Jesus and we pray for that realignment uh, that uh, through your spirit that we would be living lives that, uh, for in the way that we've been designed and in a way that brings uh, pleasure and honour to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.